Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. You better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China. Today we have an update. I just want to share with you, I know that some of you have been listening to the podcast that we did on the kidnapped American who was kidnapped in Yunnan province uh, back in 2004 uh, by the name of David Snedden. Uh, he was a Utah native from Brigham Young University who had been traveling uh, in the area of Lijiang in Yunnan province. And if you're not familiar with Yunnan province, it's on the western part of China. It's an area where a lot of tourists go, especially to the place where David Snedden went, which was Leaping Tiger Gorge, an area that I've been to several times, very well known in Lijiang, uh, this kind of picturesque city that a lot of people like to travel to. Uh, actually, if you look at if I, if I just go off of the of the iTunes bars, um, you know, whenever I go to iTunes, I can see which episodes of our Back to Jerusalem podcast have been downloaded and listened to the most from iTunes. This specific podcast was the one that has been listened to the most. So there, at some point at least, there was some interest in this American who had been kidnapped in China. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of David Snedden, I'm just going to touch on it. This will not be a very long podcast, but I do want to give you an update because today things have taken the next uh, – the, the, gone to the next level with his situation. Uh, back in 2004, August 14th of 2004, a, an American by the name of David Snedden who had been studying at a university in Beijing, studying the Chinese language, had some time before he started law school back at Brigham Young University um, during the summer of 2004. So he had traveled to uh, Beijing during the summer to study the, the language. He had been for two years doing – he was a Mormon missionary. If you're not familiar with Mormon missionaries, usually they do about a, a two-year commitment. The males usually give a two-year commitment of their lives to serve on the mission field. David served two years of his life in South Korea. Uh, he had studied the, the Korean language, and from my understanding, he spoke the Korean language. And then he had an interest in Asian languages in general. That was his major. That was his study. So he um, – spent the summer of 2004 studying the Chinese language in uh, Beijing. After that, he decided to kind of take a backpack trip um, and you know, doing some backpacking throughout China. He went to the major spots of backpacking inside of China, one of them being Guilin. Uh, during the first portion of his trip, he had someone who traveled together with him, a fellow student uh, at the Beijing University that he was studying his language at. They had traveled together. They went to Guilin, and then uh, for whatever reason, I think that the other American probably had, had 
time constraints or budget constraints or whatever. But David continued on alone because he wanted to see um, areas of Yunnan province as well, which a lot of backpackers do. They they kind of go to Guilin, Yangshuo, uh, Lijiang. Those are big backpacking destinations inside of China. Absolutely gorgeous. If you've never been there, basically you can live off of pennies. Um, because you can stay at these hostels, which are super, super cheap, uh, and they're not bad. I've stayed at those hostels. I stay at those hostels now. I'd rather almost sometimes stay at the hostels, or they're kind of semi-hostels, so you're not necessarily living with other people per se, though you can, um, and many people do for even cheaper prices, but for something like 10, 20 bucks a night, you get a, a pretty nice room, usually in a small hotel, kind of like a guest house, and you have um, free internet, uh, free breakfast, usually a Western-style breakfast. Food is usually pretty cheap. Minorities are just great to hang out with, the, the Chinese minorities. So like you have the, the Li Su, the Yi Su, the, the Miao Zhu, the Dong Zhu. And you can usually tell them because they're oftentimes a little shorter than the Chinese that you have in the north, the, the Han Chinese. Um, they're also usually a little darker, so they have just a, a slight variation in their uh, skin color. They're a little darker. Um, that is uh, being stereotypical of a of a minority inside of China. Not all of them, of course, have those features, but the majority of them do. So, like when I'm traveling into the Zhuang area of Sichuan province or the Lisu area or the, the Isu area, um, I can usually tell the minorities just by the way they look. For the, for the most part. And if you can't tell by the way they look, you can definitely tell by the way they dress. For those that don't live in the city, those that live out in the in the villages, um, they they dress you know in these very vibrant minority colors, uh, the, the tribal colors, whatever their tribe may be. And that is really fascinating, and they're always happy. These people are usually very, very happy, and I, I, I really enjoy traveling in their regions and, and in their villages. So anybody that goes to that area, not only will you meet nice people, though, you also have some of the most beautiful God-created scenery you've ever seen in your life. Mountains that come out of the ground like fingers. So they go straight up and straight down almost like a camel back. Um, these, these mountains that are just gorgeous and green and, and they have this lush, um, uh, almost like a triple canopy jungle feel all, all, all around them. A lot of people like to go there for mountain climbing. You can go on the, um, the Li River there in um, Guangxi province, or you can go to uh, Li Zhang and, and, and go uh, where David went to there at the Leaping Tiger Gorge. And one of the things that people really enjoy about that area is that there's a lot of other Westerners, so the main language usually for the people there is English. So a lot of the people that work in the hotels that work at the travel agency, they don't just speak English. They speak good English. So that is basically what David was doing back in 2004 when he was backpacking throughout China. And then in August of 2004, he went missing. He vanished, just disappeared. So there was an investigation that was launched by the Chinese police department as well as the U.S. embassy. And they both came to the conclusion that David, who was an experienced hiker, fell off the side of the mountain into the river 
and his body washed away, never to be seen again. His family went there. His father and his brothers traveled there, and they did their own investigation, and their conclusion was most likely he had been kidnapped. The family and their investigation was actually correct. Uh, they, they were right. He was, in fact, kidnapped. And so uh, now there's more information starting to come out. Uh, and we reported about that in our last podcast. Now, another thing that you need to know is that this area is kind of a corridor for North Koreans trying to get to South Korea. Even though it's on the opposite side of China, it is a way for, for the refugees that are leaving North Korea via China to go down into uh, Thailand uh, or one of the Southeast Asian countries, get out of China into the Southeast Asian country and make it to a South Korean embassy. And then through the South Korean embassy are able to make their way back to South Korea. There's two main routes. One is that route that goes through Yunnan province, and the other one is through Inner Mongolia that takes you to Mongolia. Um, those are the two main routes that underground, it's almost like an underground railroad for North Koreans. So David was right in that corridor. In, corridor. in fact, uh, he was last seen at a Korean restaurant uh, not far from Li Jong, in a place that is often called the Shangri La. So there at the Shangri-La was the, was the last place that he was seen in a Korean restaurant. And so that is important for the story because right around the same time, just one month earlier, there was an American who was able to escape North Korea um, into Japan. Uh, his name was Charles Robert Jenkins, and he was released uh, from uh, North Korea, and he made it into Japan July of 2004. So that was exactly one month. It was actually July 18th, so less than one month. Less than one month later is when you have the, the missing of David Snedden. And the only reason I bring that up is because we had said in our last podcast that we would continue on this trail and report if any new information came out. Well, we said that that this could very possibly be that David Snedden was kidnapped and taken into North Korea to be an English teacher um, because the main American English teacher, this Charles Robert Jenkins, who had been used for the top officials in Pyongyang, uh, was able to leave North Korea and make it to Japan. It was there was this um, exchange, not an exchange of prisoners, but it was kind of like a an, am an amnesty period where prisoners that had been abducted from Japan were able to return. They 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 were taken by North Korea, abducted from Japan, abducted from their homes. In fact, uh, Charles Robert Jenkins' wife, who's Japanese. Um, her and her mother were taken from their home. So North Korean agents walked into their home, kidnapped them, took them down to the water uh, area because they lived very close to the beach, threw them on a small boat, drove for about an hour, put them on a bigger boat, and then that bigger boat took them all the way to North Korea. Now, Charles' wife never saw her mother again, so they, she doesn't really know what happened to her mother, but um, she was made to teach Japanese, Japanese culture, Japanese customs, to North Koreans, and those North Koreans have been used as agents posing as Japanese citizens. 
And that's one of the main reasons why they want these abductees. They, they want to kidnap them. Or they don't want them volunteering because they don't want them to ever leave. However, in, around this time, 2002, 2003, 2004, North Korea was suffering financially. They wanted to make amends with Japan. So they said, hey, by the way, those people that you're missing, we do have them. We are willing to allow them to go and visit their families in Japan and then come back to North Korea because now they live in North Korea and they have lives in North Korea. And Japan agreed. But when their citizens, including Charles's wife, when their citizens made it to Japan – Japan wisely said, yeah, you know what? <laughs> they are Japanese, and they are staying in, Japanese, in, in Japan. And so Charles then was left in North Korea without his wife. He became um, extremely ill. He was allowed to travel to Indonesia for medical treatment and then made his way to Japan to be reunited with his wife. Well, his wife – uh, Hitomi Solga is, is her name. She was a 21-year-old Japanese nursing student. Uh, she was abducted by the North Korean agents in 1978. And so when Charles Robert Jenkins returns back – and by the way, he was a, a, a sergeant in the U.S. Army who had this elaborate idea that if he could become a POW, he would be exchanged eventually with uh, some uh, exchange program where the Russians would be mediators and he'd be able to return home and – and escape the war, the Korean War, that way. Well, the North Koreans had other plans. They decided to keep him and the other colleagues that went missing, um, that willingly left their post. Um, they went. They were. They they were um, uh, not POW. Even though they were they were called uh, POWs, they were absent without leave, AWOL. But. When they went into North Korea, they thought that they would be handled as POWs and then returning back to the U.S. through some exchange program. North Korea kept Charles for teaching English, and since they abducted Hitomi Soga, this Japanese nursing student, they decided that what they would do was force the two of them to get married. And so those two had had a child, and they're still married today. They they they're they're still together today, uh, living in Japan. Now, what does that have to do with David? Well, the challenge that they had in North Korea was they lost their primary language instructor, language and culture instructor, and so they needed someone new. Is that something that North Korea does? They need an English teacher, so they just go and kidnap one? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. That's exactly what they do. As I shared about on our last podcast, when North Korea wanted – when Kim Jong-il wanted to start a movie uh, filming industry in North Korea, he did it the, the way that normal rational people would do it. I'm being – Facetious, of course, but he sent a goon squad to Hong Kong to kidnap one of the top directors and actresses and force them to come back to North Korea and create movies for him. They were able to escape when they were at a film festival in uh, Switzerland. And uh, in July of 2004, Charles Jenkins makes it out of North Korea. That's uh, July 18. Of 2004. August 14 was the last known date that David Snedden was seen. Well, the news that has just uh, popped up on the Daily Caller 
Um, this was published on the 28th of um, September, uh, and I'm doing this on the 28th of December in uh, American time. I'm in. I'm on the next day uh, here in China, but this was published at 10:30 p.m. Uh, American time. So it was just published that a House resolution. Or a resolution requesting the formal Department of State investigation into the disappearance of Dayton Sneddon uh, passed the House of Representatives on the 28th. So today uh, in the U.S., if we were in the U.S., it would be the 28th of September. So it has just passed the House of Representatives. So that means that this is very much underway. There's an, the Congress feels that there's enough information to do an investigation to find out if one of its citizens has indeed been kidnapped by North Korea. Well, one of the reasons why it was important for North Korea to have an English teacher is because they had to bring in one of their new leaders when, the, um, when, when they had an absentee leader in Kim Jong-il. And when the older brother of Kim Jong-un decided to try to go to Disneyland in Japan – then Kim Jong-un, who had been studying mainly German in Switzerland, needed an English teacher from an American. And now, uh, according to Choi Soon-yong, head of the abductees family union in South Korea, she, according to her, David matched the description of Kim Jong-un's personal English teacher. Sneddon is said to be alive, healthy, and married with children. So they found him a local wife in North Korea, and, and so reports are that he has been married, and now he is living in North Korea with his wife and teaching English, and he was the primary English teacher for the president, Kim Jong-un. That is the newest report from North Korea today, and that is very important. If you want to hear more about what is going to – what we know I will be sharing in more detail at our meetings during our Back to Jerusalem tour. You can come and join us on our Back to Jerusalem tour at the beginning of October. I will be – I personally will be traveling around in uh, the western part of Canada uh, at the beginning of October down into Idaho, North um, California, and then over to North Carolina where I will be joining up together with Brother Yun and Brother Ren while they will be doing the East Coast of America during the Back to Jerusalem tour. So we will be doing two tours simultaneously. Uh, the Midwest and the East Coast will be done by Brother Yun. Brother Yun will be doing Ohio and Indiana and then over to North Carolina. If you have any way to join us, we will be sharing more information about what we are doing in North Korea, more than what we share on the, the, the these podcasts. We will be sharing it in the meetings. We would love for you to come and join us and as an added bonus as an additive incentive if that's not enough if not if if coming to a meeting and hearing uh my beautiful voice over the microphone speaking about north korea is not enough to entice you which i can completely understand if that is not enough to entice you then maybe this might be a little bit more of an incentive we will be doing the early release for our newest book smuggling light smuggling light is a an amazing story about a uh, back to Jerusalem Chinese missionary who went and served in North Korea. It is her personal story about what she did in North Korea. And I have to tell you, uh, she has an amazing, phenomenal 
personal story. She's the only person that I've ever met uh, ever that was put in prison in North Korea only to miraculously make it out back into her home country of China to be rearrested in China and taken and put into a secret underground women's prison in China only to make it out of there to have her life threatened by mercenaries sent from North Korea to kill her. She was able to escape that and live to tell her story, an amazing testimony. She planted more churches and delivered more Bibles uh, in North Korea than anybody else that I've ever personally worked with inside of North Korea. That book will be available uh, only at our Back to Jerusalem meetings. That's the only place in the world you can get that book. Uh, after October 11th, and you can buy it online where Christian books are sold, uh, Amazon.com or wherever your favorite online bookstore is. You can get that to be published uh, and distributed by Whitaker House in the United States. I really recommend this, especially for women's groups. Um, it is this. This is an amazing story for if you want to spice up. If you are a, a woman and you guys are a, a part of a Bible study. Uh, and you are sick and tired of maybe the kind of stuff that normally circulates through female Bible studies, you know, that that may not be really hard-hitting mission kind of ideas. Uh, I, I've, I've been exposed, my, my wife is a part of a, of a women's Bible study uh, here in Asia, and I've seen the materials that they go through on a regular basis. I can guarantee you this. This book will be completely different than that. You wanted to bring in a kick butt, take no names, take no prisoners type of uh, study book for your women's group. I would say this one is it. It will add some hot sauce, some spice to your female Bible study. So if, if you are having a women's Bible study and you would like to have that book as a part of your, uh, of your study, it's not a long read. It's not a thick it's, it's not this, you know, thick autobiography. Uh, we've, we've made it a, a, a smaller read so that uh, groups, home groups can go through it together. Um, that book will be only available at our fall tour, the Back to Jerusalem fall tour with Brother Yun, Brother Ren, and myself. Again, Brother Ren and Brother Yun will be on in the Midwest and the East Coast. You can find out more information on that on backtojerusalem.com. Go to the events section, uh, or you'll see a big banner on our homepage as well that you can click on. And if you are bored and you don't live on the east coast or in the midwest of the united states and uh you feel sorry for me and you want to come and let me know uh face to face how much you pity me uh, because of my inability to create a proper podcast i would love to see you come to one of our meetings i would absolutely enjoy it uh, i will be like i said on the west coast of canada and uh, idaho northern california all of them smaller venues uh, and so we would be able to have a very intimate setting uh, when I am sharing. And in some of these venues, I will also be taking questions. So if you have questions, I will try to make it a setting that will be comfortable for you to ask questions so that we can uh, share about what's happening on the ground. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China. God bless you.
Eugene Bach, and I'm coming to you with a little bit of a Back to Jerusalem emergency. We need your help. For those of you that are able to help, if you are retired or you are a student or you are finding yourself right now with a vision to serve in missions, we need you. Today, Back to Jerusalem missionaries in China are training people that are going to the field between China and Jerusalem in the 1040 window. Many of those students are learning English as their second language, and if you speak English, we need your help. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably speak English. For those that are willing to make a six-month commitment or a one-semester commitment, we will provide housing and air tickets once you pass a very simple background check and sign a confidentiality agreement. The schools are underground house church schools, and they desperately need your partnership today. This is a offer that we are giving out, sending out for the very first time because we are in an emergency situation where we have missionaries that are ready to go. They just need help. We can arrange all of the logistics to get your visa, housing, and transportation if you send me an email at sinobach at gmail.com. S-I-N-O-B-A-C-H at gmail.com. Again, you can send me a message to my email at S-I-N-O-B-A-C-H at gmail.com. Thank you for praying about this, and thank you for partnering together with Back to Jerusalem. God bless.